Judges chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim, so the land had rest for forty years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded, Silence! And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh and thrusted it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade for he did not pull the sword out of his belly and the excrement came out. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. And there laid their Lord dead. On the floor. He had escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Syria, 
And when he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies their Moabites into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And the land had rest for 80 years. After him was Shemgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also saved Israel. Well, what do we make of that? I wonder, are you laughing at this point? This rather rotund ruler, this sword that gets swallowed by the folds of fat, the smelly situation, it gets beyond the point of embarrassment. It's toilet humor in the Bible. But why is all this here? This is the third week of our series in the book of Judges. And the content so far, I think it'd be fair to say, has been quite heavy going. It's been about compromise and sin and idolatry, about evil and God's anger. So why then do we get Judges 3? Is it to be a bit of light relief for us? Well, it certainly is funny. But more than that, it is weird, isn't it? It's so odd. So as we read it and we're amused, maybe we don't even really think this has got anything for us today. What has a fat king and a pungent end got to do with my life? Or maybe we know I shouldn't jump to that dismissive conclusion quite so quickly, as if I know the writer of Judges wouldn't put in an irrelevant comedy scene. I think there must be more to this. But what? Why do I need to hear Judges 3? And I think in the midst of our chuckling and bit of confusion, I think that's exactly what the writer of Judges wants us to be asking. Why do I need this? What is needed? So let's just remind ourselves briefly where we are in this book of Judges. The people have entered the land of Israel. And over the last two weeks, the introduction to the book has prepared us for a cycle that will be played out repeatedly. The people will do evil. The Lord will be angry. He will give them over to their enemies. People will cry out in their distress. In the astonishing kindness of the Lord, he will raise up a judge, that is a leader, to rescue them. The people will enjoy rest from their enemies before that judge dies. And then the cycle starts all over again. Or even more than that, we've been told already it'll be a downward spiral the people will get worse. In fact, we already know where the book is going to end up or what the people will be like at the end. We were told that last week at the end of chapter 3 and verse 6. The people in the land, they served their gods, the gods of the Canaanites. So as we now read Judges, we know we're not reading it to find out if there'll be a happy ending, if the people will sort themselves out 
they won't. But still, the author has written the book. And so here in chapter 3, he wants to show us what is needed. Four headings, you'll see an outline in your server sheets. First, what is needed is enemies defeated. So verses 7 to 11 present us with our first judge called Othniel. Now, he has appeared already in the book, but we didn't know yet, but now we do. He is one of these judges. And immediately we are presented with this cycle. You can see it there. The people are evil. Read it through, seven onwards. Then God is angry. And so he hands the people over to King Kushan Rishathayim. Now, it's a bit of a mouthful, but what it actually means, that name, is double wickedness. So the point is the people really are oppressed by him for eight long years. They cry out, and God then raises up this Othniel to save them. We're told the spirit of the Lord is upon him. Othniel defeats the enemy, and the land has rest. All exactly as we would expect. So if you are looking for an effective judge, well, we've been shown one, Othniel. That's all very well, but verses 7 to 11, that's five verses. It's not much of a description, really, of Othniel. It's sparse, few details. So as we read this, we might say, but I want to know more of what this kind of judge that is needed looks like. Well, we read on. Verse 12, the cycle starts up again and we see our familiar pattern. The people are evil. They're handed over to a king. This time it's Eglon, the king of Moab. This time it's worse, 18 years of oppression. But the people cry out, the Lord, sure enough, raises up the next judge, Ehud. And Ehud leads Israel to a comprehensive victory. Enemies defeated, rest in the land. Now today, life is not easy for Christians. Believers around the world are persecuted for their faith. Some Christians are in poverty. And for us too, there may well be those around us who make life difficult. Maybe our experience as Christians is that we're lonely. Maybe we get sick and we die. So we could consider all of those our enemies. And we, don't we, want freedom from them. If you like, we want rest. You could say we long for a judge like Othniel or Ehud who will come and defeat those enemies and give us rest. Did you notice what we did as we just briefly summarized the account of Ehud? We basically went straight from verse 15, which is where the Lord raised up Ehud, and I jumped to verse 29, to this victory in battle. But for that, we didn't look at the intervening verses at all because we didn't seem to need to, to tell the story. But of course, as we heard, our author has told us plenty more about Ehud. So why is that? Well, if we simply say we need a judge who will defeat our enemies, well, how do we define those enemies? We might simply look at those enemies from our perspective, like Israel might have done this too. Israel might have thought their only problem was those kings from other nations that had to be defeated in battle. Today, people might only want Jesus to make them happy and healthy and rich, as if those were their needs from Jesus. But this is what our author wants to show us. There is more that we need. 
and we need our idols to be exposed. So back in 36, remember the big problem we were told already was the people's idolatry. But did they realize that? It is astounding. The Lord God had created everyone, including his people. Do you remember that great rescue, the exodus from Egypt? He'd brought them through the wilderness, provided for their every need. He'd given them the initial victories to get them into the land. And now we are told the people still served other gods, committed persistent idolatry. That's verse 6. They served their gods. It is shockingly rebellious. But the author of Judges also wants us to see it is ridiculously stupid to do that. Now, the name Eglon means young bull. And we're told here in verse 14 that the people served, or we could even say it's the same word, worshipped Eglon. Which is striking. It's not the first time the people of Israel have worshipped a young bull. Remember the golden calf, Exodus 32? Sure enough, we read on, and then still in verse 15, the people are sending tribute to Eglon. That's what you would do to an idol. Give it tribute. And then as we read on, the way Eglon is described repeatedly in the first half of this account underlines the people's servitude. So verse 14, they served Eglon, the king of Moab. Verse 15, Eglon, the king of Moab. Verse 17, Eglon, the king of Moab. Verse 19, Ehud addresses Eglon, O king. Do you get the point? Eglon is the one the people of God are serving, even worshipping. They're offering him this tribute. And look, he gets fat, very fat, on what they give him. Now, idolatry is a constant issue for God's people. Now, today, the idols have different names, more like career and cash and comfort. But all the same, these are the things that we give ourselves to. We serve them. They consume our time, our resources, our efforts. We could even say those things get fat on all that we give to them. And the irony is we don't even see the problem. Because the people of the land today, that is, the world out there, the people we spend our time with, maybe our colleagues, our classmates or our friends, are all doing it. So we just think that is the normal thing to do, to give ourselves to such things. But Judges 3 wants to challenge that. Even, we might say, to mock us. So consider Eglon, if you like, that he stands for whatever it is you and I are tempted to give ourselves to this week, apart from the Lord God. With that in mind, look again. For a start, where did serving Eglon actually get the people? Well, they are oppressed. Eglon certainly didn't deliver for them the life that they longed for. So we should ask, are idols... Are they actually delivering, even if we achieve whatever it is we're pursuing? And then keep looking at Eglon. So they made so much of Eglon, but what was he actually like in the end? Well, we read this story, we get to verse 42, and look, it's put pungently. He is a bloated corpse, out of which is coming excrement. And then you read on in our account, and look, 
Eglon is never named again. He is certainly not called king again. Why not? Well, don't you see? He's a nobody. For that short time, Eglon seemed to be the master, both of his own people and for the people of Israel. But look again at those words of verse 25 at the end. There lay their Lord dead on the floor. Do we see it? That's what our idols are like. I mean, don't choose to misunderstand. There is, of course, a place for our career, our relationships, our financial security. But if pursuing those in practice becomes the be-all and the end-all, the bottom line apart from God, that is, they are our idols, have we not seen them for what they are? Oh, yes, they'll take our tribute, our energy, our efforts, our ambitions. They will get fat on them, but they won't deliver in return. Don't we see that in the end, they are dead. They are a nothing. Even, I wouldn't say it, but Judges 3 is telling us, they are a pile of poo on the floor. So I wonder, when we first read or heard this account, did we laugh? Did it amuse us? Have we begun to realize the joke may be on us? That double-edged sword of Ehud, literally, in the original, it's actually described as double-mouthed. Point is, that sword, as Ehud said it, was a clear message, a deadly message for Eglon. But at the same time, it also has a piercing message for us. Have we grasped the sheer folly, the stupidity of serving idols which will consume us but never deliver? Have we, so to speak, stuck the knife into those idols? Have we realized idols shouldn't be served? Laugh at them. And that if we choose to persist in our idolatry, well, the joke is actually on us. When the Apostle Paul was writing his letter to the Philippians, I wonder if Judges 3 was fresh in his mind from his morning Bible reading. Because Paul says this, Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Or more literally, I count them as dung in order that I may gain Christ. What do we need? Enemies defeated, idols exposed. But there's more. We need atonement made. That question again, what is the problem in our lives that needs to be dealt with? And we feel our lack, maybe money or popularity or health. Many in this world are in genuine physical need. That is all true. And yet, our need is greater. Verse 7 again, the people did evil. In the sight of the Lord. Verse 12, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In case you missed it, end of verse 12 reiterates they had done what was evil. 
So yes, the book of Judges shows us that this sort of evil has consequences. It leads to other problems, like here the oppression meted out by Eglon and his allies. But of course, if the story was simply for Eglon and his men to be defeated, well, that wouldn't actually address the root problem, which is the evil of the people. And that is their greatest problem. Because of their evil, they are estranged and separated from God himself. He is angry with them. So the question really should be, is there a way back? Is atonement being restored to a relationship with God actually possible? Well, the details we find here in Judges 3 are actually designed to bring to mind the key annual event instituted in the law of Moses, which was the Day of Atonement. We can read all about it in Leviticus chapter 16. Let me summarize it briefly, that on this day, the high priest was to dress in a particular way, including his undergarments. He was to draw near to the tabernacle with an offering. He was to enter alone into the Holy of Holies. He was to kill a bull as a sin offering. He then was to sprinkle the blood of that bull on the Ark of the Covenant, or what was called the mercy seat. No one else was to enter until the priest came out. And as part of the same ceremony, one goat would be slaughtered and a second set free. And to announce this had happened, a trumpet would be sounded. Now, those details may be unfamiliar to us, but to an Israelite with the scriptures, these really would be very familiar indeed. And then they would notice the details in Judges 3. Notice we are told how Ehud dresses, including under his garments. Ehud brings a tribute offering. Verse 18, if you look, highlights that Ehud then acts alone. Ehud enters the king's personal chamber. There, Eglon rises from his seat. But there, remember, Eglon, whose name means bull, is slaughtered. A liquid substance is poured out. And after this, Ehud blows a trumpet. And notice at the end what follows. The Moabites, to a man, are slaughtered, and all the Israelites go free. Do you see what we are being shown? Now, don't misunderstand. What is happening here is not the atonement ritual itself, obviously. It's sort of a parody, but it does follow it very closely. But sin and evil is not here being defeated, but it is designed to bring to mind the Day of Atonement. We are being shown, if you like, what the problem is at heart, what needs addressing. The Israelites' problem, your problem, mine, is this evil we have committed separating us from God. What do we need? Atonement. So we read Judges 3, this isn't the Day of Atonement. So we ask, well, where then can we find this atonement? Who could bring this atonement? So enemies defeated, idols exposed, atonement made, and finally an unexpected deliverer. 
Let's go back to Othniel. He's presented to us in these verses as a model deliverer, which he was. But there's only these few verses to go on. But as we read about Othniel, I wonder what picture filled your mind about him. How would you spot Othniel in life? Maybe you would assume he came from a leading family, which he did. But you assume he had a stellar school career, you know, head boy, captain of the first 11. Of course, he got a scholarship to an elite university, then went to military college where he won the sword of honor. He married very well indeed. And then came to the city for that plum job. That's the kind of person Othniel is. That's the kind of judge we need. But then we read on in Judges, and as we've heard, we are then presented with Ehud. And first impressions, let's say, are underwhelming. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, which, well, Put it this way, is not quite the tribe of Judah, which, of course, Othniel was associated with. Next, we're told, Ehud is a left-handed man. Now, we may not be sure how to read this, and I need to be careful because I have a left-handed family member sitting right here in the front row. But it is from the French word for left that we get our word gauche. It is from the Latin word for left that we get the word sinister. What the text here actually literally says is that Ehud was bound in his right hand. That is, there was some sort of deformity or another hindrance. So on first appearances, there's this deficiency. Ehud was not the kind of man you would expect to be an effective judge. After all, Othniel's hands were completely fine, obviously. And that initial impression might be confirmed for us by what the people of Israel get him to do. Did you notice? Not to go into battle, but end of verse 15, the people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. That is, Ehud is the delivery boy. But as, of course, we know, he achieved so much more. And also we know what was perceived to be Ehud's weakness turned out to be his secret weapon. Because Eglon's guards presumed Ehud was harmless. And no doubt instinctively they checked what was on his left thigh, but there was no weapon there, which is where the sword would usually be carried. So Ehud was given free reign to enter the king's presence alone. What could he do? But he was carrying that sword, and he could slay the king. So Ehud was not the kind of deliverer that people might have expected or chosen for themselves. But he was just the kind of deliverer that people needed. Before we leave Judges 3, notice 2, verse 31, and Shamgar. And again, we're told very little about him, but we are told he was the son of Anath. Anath, as you'll know, was a female Canaanite deity. But if you did know that, you might wonder, well, what is he doing in a list of judges that would rescue Israel? And then you might ask, well, how did Shamgar single-handedly, even if with his right hand, kill 600 men with an ox goad? That is a cattle prod. How did he do that? Well, we just don't know. No idea. But it's fair to say we wouldn't have expected that from Shamgar as a deliverer at all. 
just like Ehud. So it is that over a thousand years after Ehud and Shamgar, another deliverer was raised up by God. Although again, he was not what many were expecting or hoping for. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He even, can you believe this, suffered the shocking humiliation, indignity and shame of death on a Roman cross, which is a stumbling block to Jews, a folly to Gentiles. And so it is today. Those around us consider Jesus and his death utterly irrelevant to the life they want to lead. What good could he do for them? The last person an event they want to be associated with. And yet, do we see that is exactly the kind of judge we need? One who through that death and resurrection does indeed trounce over every ruler and authority and power and dominion, every enemy defeated, even death. Here is the one who does expose the sheer emptiness of idols. For example, he told a rich man to leave it all behind. He told the woman that her pursuit of men would never satisfy. Instead, this man says, abundance of life can be yours in knowing him. And then we find that here is the one whose very death provides that atonement that we so desperately need to deal with our evil and sin and bring us back to God. And so the question is, will we follow him? Look down to verse 28, where Ehud issues the call, follow after me. Now, do you remember initially when the people of Israel saw this left-handed man? Maybe they wouldn't have thought of doing that. Why would they follow him? But they should have done Countless times in the gospel accounts, Jesus calls on us to follow him. The world hears that and doesn't see the point, ignores him, refuses. The world doesn't see what need they could possibly have of a crucified outsider. The world carries on in its evil, serving its idols, but then oppressed by its enemies. But Judges 3 has helped us to see, yes, Jesus may not have been the deliverer we expected or even thought that we wanted, but Jesus is just the kind of deliverer that we need. So follow him. I'll lead us in a prayer. Our Father, would you help us to see all the more clearly the needs that we have for our evil to be dealt with, for our idolatry to be exposed, our enemies to be defeated. And so we praise you for sending Jesus, the deliverer that we need. And so would we now follow him in all of life and enjoy the abundant life that he gives. Amen.